everybody. Welcome to episode 541 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam joined by Jill. Jill, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, for everyone listening, I'm in the office today and we have a weird different microphone setup. So if it sounds a little bit different than normal um, with my voice, that's why. Um, so yeah, just a heads up. This might happen a few times in the coming months as we readjust to life, both in and out of our office. So um, also uh, rude Cleveland and Northeast Ohio. We got a, a end of April snowstorm. That's not very nice. Um, mm-hmm. Don't appreciate that. But um, okay. I, do you want to kind of, I don't know, we don't really have like a one theme. We have like five things we're going to talk about. <laughs> do you want to kind of set like a framework for what we're going to talk about today? Because people seem to like when we talk about things that aren't always directly just book recommendations buckle up Uh, um yeah so are we naming is this episode titled authors behaving badly (laughs) i think i'm gonna go with that it's just fun it's a fun title so based on that um for those of you who are listening and saw the title of the episode uh yeah um so over the past well a while now but it, specifically this was sort of um the catalyst for this was over the weekend there was an author who not Losing talking well of reviewers <laughs> uh despite the fact that those reviewers gave positive reviews um it was a whole thing and then when called out on the fact that you know publicly calling out reviews good or bad but you really shouldn't call out reviewers regardless but mm-hmm. publicly calling out good reviews um and treating them as bad when called out on that they started doubling down and then tripling down and it just kept going and is probably still going and this is just sort of like a thing that happens sometimes where authors read reviews and criticism and respond terribly mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to kind of get into like just all of the things that might happen online um, pertaining to authors and our responses as readers and suggested responses for you guys. And then there we have like some specific examples of things that have happened and other ones will be more vague about just because you, if you listen to this, you're probably in the literary world and you either are super aware of what we're talking about, or maybe you like blissfully don't know what we're talking about. And I don't want to ruin that (laughs) version. Well, that's Um, fair. I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. Like if you, the, the, the author from this weekend, their book has been getting good reviews. They've been doing mm -hmm. a whole bunch of media stuff and it is entirely possible that you liked their book. And I don't want to like, yeah, ruin Mm -hmm. that for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so one of the, the first, one of the first things we want to get into is the concept of like understanding just the whole, like not even cottage industry, just like industry of online reviews of books. Cause there's a lot of things to get into about it. First off, online reviews are very important for authors that drive sales, their Amazon rankings, their, their Goodreads rankings, places that are problematic for their other uh, own reasons. Um, I think Reading Glasses did a podcast all about the problematic aspects of of that, and we won't. There's that's like there's so much to that, but it is true that online reviews are important for authors. So, just as like a first statement, 
if you like a book and you love an author, definitely go leave them a five-star review and write something. No, you, no authors owed a five-star review. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That is, that is like the catalyst. Like that is what started this whole thing off is that someone did not receive a five-star review and was talking shit about reviewers who gave them four stars. Absolutely. No authors owed a five-star review. Review them whatever you think is fair. Yeah, absolutely. And so my whole part was like, if you want to leave a positive review for someone that you like to help out their, their, you know, their ability to keep supporting themselves as an author, that's great, but you're absolutely right. And along those lines, um, just taking reviews with a grain of salt, um, you had, like, do you want to talk about the like kind of review bombing thing and like, oh, okay. Right. Okay. (sighs) So this happens also. Um, Goodreads is, you know, I think what happens is sometimes if you are involved in the book Twitter world, Twitter, book Twitter and like Goodreads kind of go hand in hand and sometimes exist in a vacuum. So, um, you know, if you're just like a casual user of Goodreads, you may have no idea that this happens, especially if you're not on Twitter and in book Twitter, but what will happen is that um, an author will behave badly in whatever way that means. And then people in response will start essentially like review bombing their book or books and just start giving it one stars across the board, like regardless mm-hmm. of a, if they've read it or what. Um, and so it dramatically will bring somebody's Goodreads score down. Um, if there are two authors at it, which sometimes happens as well, their individual fans will go after Uh the other author while then they'll bring up the other ones. I mean, like it's a whole, it's a, it's a big fluctuating mess. So, um, if you're on Goodreads and looking at book reviews (laughs) and ratings, just, you know, do some, you know, if you feel, if you're like, you're interested in a book, it sounds good to you. And then it has like a terrible rating you know maybe do some legwork and actually investigate and see where that comes from like you can tell Mm -hmm. when reviews were left or ratings were left um and you know all books are gonna get five stars things will get five stars things will get one star and Mm -hmm. you know if they're like spread out evenly over the course of several weeks or months or whatever that those are probably genuinely five-star one-star reviews where the reviewer did either did or did not love the book if an author all of a sudden has like hundreds of one-star reviews in the span of four days maybe consider where those came from and if they're actually genuine you know and like sometimes and don't even like just don't eat like the the stars serve one purpose but the actual reviews, if you read those, mm-hmm. will probably give you the information you need. Like I look for like those three and four star reviews, and sometimes the twos too. Like I, I, I just I feel like don't even consider the five and one stars because for what I like, I just I feel like those are just yeah. too far into the spectrum because the majority of books are not going to be either five or one star. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like for me personally. <laughs> 
Yeah. No. It's all going to be in those two to four. And like the, I like reviews are helpful. And this is a reminder that reviews are for readers, not authors. Yeah. And, and exactly what you said is such a good point. Like something, do your, do some research because I know that sometimes you just want to be told really quickly, like, here's a great book to read. And you just want to go borrow it. Like, Hey, hi, that's what we're here for. Thanks for subscribing and listening to our podcast. We, we, we do that once a week normally, but if you're going to base your book purchasing, book borrowing, book recommend, book recommending to someone else that based on reviews and things like take the time to go through and read them because you're going to spend five, 10, 20 hours with this book. Take 30 minutes to read through those reviews and say like, oh, okay, here is why they're saying whatever they say. Cause like, like you said, the try not to pay attention to the stars because like Jill and I might both adore a book and I might give it four stars and she might give it three stars. That doesn't mean my review is bad. Like we could write the exact same review and just in our, our brains might think of stars differently, correct, you know? Correct. So yeah, huge grain of salt. Also, Goodreads is not the end. Yeah. Like absolutely. there are lots of places, there are reviews, like you can get star ratings in the Libby app on mm-hmm. books. Like people, you know, so if there's a book, you can maybe find it, the, the star rating of readers in the Libby app or Amazon. I mean, I think Goodreads is just the easiest, the fastest, and it's the one that people, especially book bloggers tend to use the most and so um I think that's why they use that as the platform as a way of sort of like weaponizing reviews against authors rightly or wrongly mm-hmm. um but there are lots of places you can get book reviews it's not just goodreads <laughs> yeah and that's and that's something I will say like I over this pat this year especially I I've gotten off goodreads and I've been using the story graph and this isn't like, they're not a partner of us. They're not sponsored by, a, I mean, we're, we're not sponsored by them or anything. I just happen to really like the service. And one of the things I enjoy about it is that yes, you can leave star reviews and yes, you can absolutely leave um, longer, you know, more thought out word reviews, but they also have these, um, they provide much more context to to what the book, what people who have read the book consider about the book. So when you review a book there, um, yes, it'll, it'll ask you to put a star rating at the very end and it'll ask if you want to write more, but they have all of these different check boxes. And it says, you know, basically it's like, what moods did these, did this book convey? And it's like, is it emotional, reflective, hopeful, sad, mysterious, inspiring, lighthearted, relaxing, adventurous, et cetera. There's a whole bunch of them. It also tell, asks you what pace you thought the book was. And then it asks some interesting questions like, did, would you think the book was plot or character driven or a mix or this isn't a, uh, applicable? Did you find the characters lovable? Did you find that there was a strong, diverse cast? Was there character development? Like, and it kind of asks these pointed questions where you can not answer them or you can say it's complicated. And it, that way, when you look at a book, it kind of without casting like a huge judgmental like this book was you know the worst thing of all time it lets you get an idea of like what style of the book it is and that's been really helpful for me to look at a description of a book which admittedly also like publishers are trying to sell a book so they're always going to tell you this book is a perfect mix of the hunger games and divergent it's like oh really it's it's a mix of two of the biggest 
why a series of the last thing like they, yeah. it's their job to to, get, to hook you but like reading the description and then also looking at the story graph stuff about like what other readers have thought about the mood has helped me find t- titles that I've enjoyed um better so that's again they're not a sponsor or anything I just like the story graph I think that's a decent way of doing it um or you can always you know ask librarians or friends who you whose literary uh thoughts you you respect um you, there's lots of podcasts like ours but yeah um do you have more thoughts on reviews you can i, I do actually it should be pointed out i think you know one of the problems that comes with this is that um especially if it is an author with a very large following going after book bloggers um you know like we we, we co we do this podcast as part of our job, right? Like we're paid for this essentially. Um, most book bloggers do it for free because Mm -hmm. they love books and it's a hobby. Um, and it's a lot of thankless work for the book bloggers and reviewers, whether it's on YouTube, whether it is a blog, whether they're doing it just on Goodreads. Um, or, um, you know, wherever, Edelweiss, uh-huh. wherever, um, it, you know, they're, they're usually small. They don't have the platform and the base that a large author might have. And so when authors sort of start calling out reviewers, it, it puts reviewers in really, really bad positions. And you can find stories of authors who have like physically shown up at a reviewer's home mm-hmm. because of a review yeah and you know like finding where they are i know after this weekend a lot of reviewers went on lockdown on their social media or left social media altogether because it's not always safe for them which is just ridiculous it's a mm-hmm. book review <laughs> like yeah. i mean oh my god it's just I, I love exactly what you said though, because like for every, um, you know, for every big YouTube book blogger, like um, Christine Riccio, who came on the podcast a couple years ago and she's lovely and she's wonderful and people adore her. She has like a half a million followers on YouTube. If she leaves a negative review and someone tries to like come after her, she has the resources to take care of herself, to be like, this is how I feel. And here's like, she probably at this point, she has also an author. I'm sure she has a lawyer that like, right, can right. help that with that kind of stuff. But exactly what you said, like most of those, it, it, I love her reviews, but I've also discovered reviewers on YouTube that have like 200 followers. And I'm like, wow, they are fabulous. And I love everything about them. And I am going to read this book because of them. Like, and those people are just as likely to get called out by an author who's spending too much time on Goodreads. Then probably more likely because they don't have the... Yeah the backing, you know, behind them to be able to fight back. And so it is just ridiculous the way some authors go after reviewers. I mean, Mm but I'm, I'm not kidding about that physically showing up at reviewers house things either. I'm not joking about that. And it's not just a one-time deal. I can think of two instances where authors have shown up at a reviewer's home. One of them got a second book deal out of it. So been a lot of uh things in the news this week about people getting book deals out of committing horrible acts of uh insanity um okay so this kind of transitions to a question that we wanted to address is what 
do you do about authors who maybe you've liked their books in the past and it turns out that they're not so great? So um, we're just to be frank, Jill and I have interviewed people that we enjoyed and we liked. There's one somewhat local to us whose name I won't bring up because it's very local to us who was on the podcast and we spoke glowingly about her for like a year and a half, two years. And it turns out she's kind of awful, apparently, uh, in private life. And so what do we do about that? Like, what, what are your thoughts? What do we do when people turn out to be kind of terrible, maybe? Yeah, that's a hard one. And I feel like, I think everyone has to kind of decide their own, their own limit, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if we're going to talk about, yeah, we don't want to name names, but I will, I will say JK Rowling, like, come on. So like, that's sort of the big, that's the very low hanging fruit, but you know, we are big Harry Potter fans. Mm -hmm. Um, We have talked at length. We did dedicated episodes to individual books um, way back when the illustrated ones were coming out. And I still have my books. Mm -hmm. They're sitting on my bookshelf. Um, I'm not buying anymore. Like, you know what I mean? And so like, there is a line where I'm willing to draw where I can say, you know, these books represented a particular part of my life. They Mm -hmm. still mean a lot to me. She's not getting more money from me. Yeah. And that's, (laughs) and like, that is the line I'm willing to draw. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, if you want to get rid of your books, that is entirely fine too. Like, I think that's one of those things where everyone has to decide for themselves what their limit is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think that's such a perfect way of saying, I mean, to your point, I literally have people who have followed us on Instagram for a while. I'm sure I've seen, I have Harry Potter tattoos on my left forearm. Like there's no hiding them. If I wear a t-shirt, you can see seven different Harry Potter related images on my left forearm. I obviously got them before it turned out that J.K. Rowling, um, you know, was transphobic and, you know, basically denying uh, trans people's rights to exist. And she, you know, we obviously don't support that. We've done episodes of books by trans authors. And Jill, I mean, if you're just now discovering that Jill and I are uh, all about <laughs> equality, hi, welcome to our podcast. Um, we are very open about that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm much with you. Like I have all my copies of the books and everything. I'm not going to purchase anymore, but I also am not going to feel sad or ashamed that those books were a huge formative aspect of my life. I mean, there's an entire, I don't even want to say one generation. There's several generations of people where like Harry Potter is the equivalent to, you know, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings to it. And to an extent for you know those before us and even, even still, like it's one of those cultural touchstones. Um, and the same thing I think goes to a lesser extent to authors who you've read their books well, for us, you've had conversations with them. And then it turns out that, you know, they're not great. Like those people aren't going to get any more of my money, but I'm also not going to feel bad about reading a book that I liked in the moment. Like don't, life's too short to, to feel bad about books you, you actually enjoyed in the past. Yeah. So, um, and the one thing about that is it's very easy. Like Jill, like you were talking about at the beginning, the person who is talking over the weekend has like doubled, tripled and quadrupled down on being kind of awful about reviewers. There, you know, every, 
everyone in on Fox News likes to say the words cancel culture and just like use it as a talking point. But like the fact that people are very quick on social media to say like, this person's horrible, let's move on, forget about them forever. Like that's totally fair and sometimes, but there are also instances where people do make a mistake and then they're contrite about it. And this one we will name names because there's two people that I think deserve um, attention for being on either side of this. Um, one, from a negative standpoint, is there's an author named Lindsay Ellis, who she's a, a video essayist, I think. is. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, she has created a very large following on YouTube by creating these admittedly very interesting essays, usually about pop culture and Broadway shows and um, movies. And I think that's like what her background is, mm-hmm. it's basically like... Um, movie like film at film analysis kind of a situation um and she's literally I, I follow her on youtube i followed her for a long time i really enjoyed her like hour and a half breakdowns of fan of the opera and different stuff but so Lindsay ellis went on twitter and said this thing about ryan the last dragon about how it reminded her basically of like i'm just gonna broad strokes this because i don't feel like going into her whole thing no i mean i think no no because the exact example she used Go for was it relevant to the conversation she basically said that ryan was like avatar the last airbender and like that's all that asian stories are are just redoings of avatar the last airbender yeah that that was her whole argument which is problematic for several reasons the first being that avatar the last airbender was created by white people Mm -hmm. yeah so people as you can imagine (laughs) respond and we're like what are you talking about? This is awful. And in response to this, instead of being like, here's the error of my ways, Lindsay Ellis just got off Twitter. She just deleted her account. And then several weeks later, as she's prone to do, she made a video essay about cancel culture. And it is, it clocks in at just under two hours. It's a feature length film length YouTube video. And basically everyone was trying to say, like, just apologize, like, say you made a mistake. And then if you want, like, then if you want to go into a video and say, like, this is what I do for a living. And so I apologize. This is, I see the error in my ways, but I do want to go into culture or, you know, cancel culture and what it all means and all that. I don't think anyone would have had an issue with that, but she doubled down and then tripled down because there's now there's all these tweets that are like people jumping on Lindsay Ellis, you should really watch her whole video before you cast judgment. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to watch a two hour video in the hopes that at hour seven or minute 79, she makes an apology for the horrible thing she did. And the reason I bring that up is because there's another author um, with a smaller platform, Kasoko Jackson, who was going to be on our podcast a few years ago. I think you were going to- I interviewed him. I interviewed him. Mm -hmm. And Kasoko wrote, I want to make sure I get do you remember the first book's name? No. I have. Should hang on the name of the I should. That was the one I interviewed him about. Okay. That's all right. Um, a place for wolves. A place for wolves. Yes. So there was another author, Kasoko Jackson, who Jill interviewed. He was going to be on the podcast a couple years ago. He wrote this book called A Place for Wolves, and A Place for Wolves was this book about a, a culture that he admittedly was 
not want to say unfamiliar with because he did the research, but um, I believe it was a book set in a Middle Eastern country and he is not Middle Eastern. And it created this whole conversation about own voices and the fact that maybe he shouldn't be writing this book because it's not a story from his own like world to tell. It was set in the 1990s during the Kosovo War. Right. It was like a very specific time in that part of the world that had nuance that um, he maybe nuance he couldn't know because that's just not his background. Exactly. And so everyone was quick to go after him for this and attack him and be very angry about it. And as longtime listeners will know, Kosovo wasn't on that. We didn't ever air that episode because we didn't feel right. And the book ended up, um, Sourcebooks is the publisher. Sourcebooks ended up pulling it and now releasing Mm -hmm. it. So everyone kind of like went their separate ways and forgot about it. And then Kosoko has written a new book called Yesterday's History, which I believe actually just came out like this month. Um, or it's a, it's a recent it, release. It's a recent release, I think. I don't remember for sure. And it seems to be, I haven't read this one, um, but it seems to be much more positively reviewed and much more openly accepted. And it's one of those situations where he did something that was a mistake and he apologized for it and said, this is, okay, I see exactly what you all mean. And then said, wrote a book that is kind of a, voice, a story that he is more capable of telling. And, and it's, and I, and this is like the, the way that the two responded couldn't be more different. And I think, you know, Kazoko is actually just one example of, uh, um, reviewers, especially pre-pub reviews do serve a purpose. That's why they're so important is because, you know, like, and I think when it comes to this, like, quote unquote, cancel culture, which I don't like that phrase, it's more like consequence culture, but whatever. So <laughs> that's so much better. I love that. <laughs> uh, I did not make that up. I stole it from somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in publishing and like, publishing is very white and things get missed no matter how many times you have. And even with, you know, an author of color, like, I mean, you know, because it goes black, like things will sometimes still get missed no matter how hard a publisher can try. And like, that's where, um, pre-pub reviews can come in. And, and I feel like, you know, often it's the reviewers that sort of, when this happens and a book gets pulled or a book like gets permanently pulled and shelved or a book gets pulled for more edits. It's often the reviewers who are blamed for like pointing these things out, which is Mm -hmm. really not fair. Like that's their job. Like that's what they're there for. That is what those free pub reviews are specifically for. And I feel like people forget that because I think people, whether it's other reviewers, whether it's fans, whether, well, it's probably not other reviewers, whether it's fans of the author or, authors themselves you know not getting those five-star reviews yeah it sucks but like that is what pre-pub reviews are for is to sort of like put that book out into the world and get feedback and things might need to be changed and blaming reviewers for that sort of misses the whole point mm-hmm. um so sort of related to that and we didn't mention this like we didn't talk, say we're going to talk about this before, but I just want to get your thoughts and I can delete it if, if we don't want to keep talking about it. But like, uh-huh. 
over the the weekend, I think, or maybe it was earlier this week. I who knows time anymore. It's so confusing. But there was a book announced that is one uh, by a, a man named Jonathan Mattingly that was involved in the Breonna Taylor death. And oh, for, yeah, yes, so yes, I, that was so, last week. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm with you now. So, yep. So for reasons like there, it's very we have our own opinions on that, but we won't get into that. But my my question for you is, it can be really challenging because people saw that this book that a lot of, of people, and I agree with those people, don't think should exist and shouldn't be publicized and shouldn't be published, um, is being, in theory, at the moment, you know, it was announced it was going to be released under a publishing house that Simon & Schuster owns. No, no. Simon & Schuster distributes. This you. is where some of the confusion happened, I think, in terms of, like, what Simon & Schuster's role is and how much. Now, obviously... Mm-hmm. We don't work for Simon and Schuster. I'm speaking entirely as someone who also has published books with that are distributed by Simon and Schuster. Like if you go to Simon and Schuster, you can find my name because my books are are distributed by them. But how it works is that smaller publishing houses who don't have the means to um, like print and um, get books into bookstores will sign with larger publishing houses. I think, I don't know if all the publishing houses do this, but like Simon and Schuster obviously has this like arm of their business that is a distribution business. And so um, this smaller publisher post Hill press, which from my understanding, mostly airs on the side of like conservative type books had signed this book and it was going to be distributed by Simon and Schuster and people got upset at Simon and Schuster. I don't know. And like, I, I I really don't know how much Simon and Schuster knows about what books are getting distributed by these smaller. I think people find that they're like, well, Simon and Schuster had to know, did they? Because they distribute a lot of books that aren't actually like published by Simon and Schuster. So I don't know how much Simon and Schuster knew. I feel like it's entirely possible that Simon and Schuster that like the that that the big head guys of Simon and Schuster mm-hmm. may not have known that this small publisher that they distribute was going to sign like was going to publish this book. I think that is entirely possible. Yeah. Like that seems feasible to me. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't work for them, so I don't yeah. know. Well, so my question for you is because exactly what you said, like, I, I think one of the things about publishing, it, it is so intricate and confusing and challenging to try to uncover, even like if you find a book and you look up a, a press, like, it can even be challenging to know who owns it, it can take a little bit of time and, and effort. But my my question for you is like, when that happened, there was an immediate like pushback where people were like, well, I'm done with Simon and Schuster. Like, first off, the thing is, you probably aren't, even if you don't realize it, just because there's really like the majority of the books are basically, it's a pyramid. It goes up to like, you know, one or two companies at this point. But my question for you, like, I feel like if you see a a publisher doing something you disagree with, obviously, you know, voice your opinion in any way that you want. But if you support authors who happen to be under their distribution or their publishing, like, I'm of the belief, like, I still want to support the authors that I believe in and that I like. And I know that it's not an easy 
answer, but like, do you have thoughts on like how to support people in those types of situations where, cause the, uh, the public, the author, a lot of situations can't just break off from their contract. A lot of them oh, don't have that type sure. Of yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Sorry. This was a really like challenging. No, 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 to no, no, no. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. There yeah. A lot of authors don't have that choice to just be like, I'm going to pull my books from Simon and Schuster because there are contracts that are signed and they, you can't just like, just do that. I mean, some will try, some will, um, I think, um, yeah, some will try. If some is still in contract, if some hasn't been published yet, they may try and their book from that publisher and try to get it sold elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I but I'm not going to blame because there right. are, yes, there are like five, four, I don't even know anymore. Like there are five big publishers who yeah. all sort of that, like, that's it. And they all kind of flow upward from there because mm-hmm. again, you have smaller publishers who get their books distributed by these publishers. And so I'm not going to blame an author. Right. Yeah, that's, that's kind of, I mean, I okay. Saying, yeah. Like actually this is, a, all right, here you go. So my book, my publisher, Skyhorse, I, you know, whatever you can, this is obviously information you can find is distributed by Simon and Schuster. Mm-hmm. As you may recall a while back, Woody Allen was trying to shop a memoir that nobody wanted. Guess who published it? My publisher. Yeah. I share a publisher with Woody Allen y'all. I don't like <laughs> this, but I can't do anything about it. <laughs> right. Like my books are out there in the world. They publish my books like that as a contract that I sign. And so um yeah and, and I guess like that was kind of my point is like the way that I I look at it like when I buy copies of your books I'm purchasing them because I'm supporting Joe Grunewald the author sure, sure. I'm not hurt I'm not purposely like there's no publisher that I go out of my way to be like I'm gonna buy books because right source books published yes correct like, I just want to put people's minds at ease because there can be so much so many things that are problematic about publishing and challenging to understand and get through And I know that when there's so many readers that are very conscientious of these things and they want to do the right thing, but I just like support the authors by supporting their work any way you can and maybe try to disassociate who's publishing and distributing them. Because to your point, you like you have no control over what like the your publisher isn't going to all the individual authors and being like, hey, guys, we have someone we want to bring on what are your also well yeah also because my books had been out like they had a different distributor Mm -hmm. like these things change you know yeah um so it has not always been simon and schuster was distributing their books um Mm -hmm. and i think it should also be pointed out i feel like our listeners probably don't need to be told this but just in case a publisher deciding not to publish your book is not censorship thank you yes just just to put that out there that's not censorship mm-hmm. that book can go get published somewhere else or it doesn't nobody's owed a publishing contract or you yeah. can self-publish it's not censorship yeah. <laughs> just uh, put there, that out there yeah there's nothing funnier than seeing a high profile person go to get on a, a live nationally syndicated show to talk about a thing to talk about how they've <laughs> they've been censored to the world that's always a really fun thing to see happen um it's not censorship it's also this is somewhat related but not but it's also not censorship if an estate of a dead author who has behaved badly in prior books decides to stop publishing those books 
that's also not censorship. Yeah. Yeah. Another author who's, I got to stop getting tattoos. You need to get stop getting, you stop getting literary tattoos. Adam. It's on me guys. I literally, I'm, I am the, I, it all starts <laughs> with, my, with my body. Um, so, and I, we just want you to like, we've been kind of Jill and I slack about this stuff. And like, anytime one of these things comes up, we'll both just like, did you see the thing? And like, if we did it, then we'll link to what's the thing. Or one of us will say, did you see the thing that happened over the weekend with this person? And then there'll be like a 10 minute wait till response. And the other one will respond like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Because clearly we were looking it up on Twitter. Um, but yeah, we get pitches from authors every once in a while that it would be nice publicity to have them on our show but we've said no because they are problematic right yeah this is sort of the challenge you know some of the authors you know as adam said had been on previously and then this information comes out later Mm -hmm. but there have been authors big profile authors who have been pitched to us and we have said no because of various problematic things so yeah. I mean, there's one and I will not name it because I don't want to, but there was one that is extremely buzzy right now. And I wasn't aware of the problems with them. And I was like, Joe, what do you think? And you, and were I'm like, like, no, no, no. Like hard line. No. And then you showed it's me one hard like, line. No. Oh, absolutely. So it's just something that, you know, normally we don't talk about a ton, but we think about it a lot and we have conversations about it internally. And we thought this would be a good time to address it. Um, are there other things you want to talk about here? I didn't want to like just abruptly end, but. Oh, um, no, I think it's just, you know, I think it's a struggle when we've had authors on the podcast mm-hmm. and then things come out later. Like what, I don't know what we do with those episodes. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, I know there were some podcasts, other podcasts or other reviewers who were taking things down. Um, mm-hmm. we didn't, we didn't discuss it either, but like, I don't yeah. know what the right answer is to that. So. Yeah. So. That's that's all. And, that's my only thing. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense in the world. So yeah, so yeah. If you guys liked this conversation, like there are conversations that Jill and I have pretty frequently, so we could have more of them recorded if you enjoy them. Um, we'll get back to giving you guys actual book recommendations next week. Will be um, May books. Oh my god. Yes, I will. Um, so next week we'll preview all the books we're excited to read in May, and we'll get back to our regularly scheduled program. But um, yeah shoot us an email at professionalbookerns at overdrive.com. Let us know your thoughts. I'm really curious to see what you guys think about all this or tweets or Instagrams at probooknerds. But yeah, anything else you think people should know about? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Okay. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.